you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning once again. If you will take your Bibles and turn them to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34, where Gary read for us just a few moments ago. That's where we will be during our time together in our lesson. So Deuteronomy chapter 34. So last week, we were continuing in our thoughts. We're continuing in our thoughts from the mountaintops. And, uh, I, you know, the first three weeks, the last three lessons have just kind of, you know, almost accidentally all been mountaintop and valley sermons. And so this past week, I'm sitting in my office on Monday and I'm thinking, okay, now I've really got to find, you know, these mountaintop lessons because I said, hey, we're going to do some of this stuff, you know, some of these types of lessons for the next few weeks. And I thought, I need to figure out, you know, what mountains are actually in the Bible. Where, where are these stories taking place? So I type in Google, mountains in the Bible, and there's this big list of, 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 of mountains and stories. And there's so many great stories in Scripture that take place on mountaintops that I never really realized. And, and I get to Mount Nebo, and I had not really ever... I'm not going to say I hadn't heard of Mount Nebo, but I had not really thought about Mount Nebo a whole lot. And, and the reason I hadn't really thought about Mount Nebo a whole lot is because we don't talk about it, right? We don't talk about it. Uh, because it's a part of the story of Moses that we tend to kind of just move right past and not really spend a lot of time in. And it's the story of his death. Now, the scriptures are such an interesting book for so many different reasons. But one of the things, if you start in Genesis and run through the book of Revelation, that you will see is that death, outside of the death of Jesus, and this morning, the death of Moses, the death of individuals in scripture are not dwelled upon for very long. The story of the book of the Bible is a very fast-paced story. It, 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 when your turn and your place in the story is up, you pass away, you go on to be with your forefathers, and then the next main character shows up. And it's almost that transition almost happens a lot of times from one verse to the next. So it's interesting to me that in this fast paced story of just one person after another, one person after another, one story, one life right after another, that all of a sudden at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the story of Moses' death, it's like the Bible slows down and focuses a little more in depth on that moment than it does really any other Old Testament character's death throughout the story of the Bible. And one of the things that I kind of find intriguing is that the story of Moses or the character of Moses, at least for us, okay, at least for us, pops up all throughout Scripture, all throughout scripture, you read about him very early on in the Bible, and then his name is brought up and mentioned over and over and over again. It's brought up by Jesus. It's brought up by those talking to Jesus. It's brought up in the writings of the apostles. It's brought up in the, uh, the epistles, all these different things, because you've got the life of Moses, and then the one thing that lived on past Moses for a long time and was the topic of conversation, even through the beginning of Christianity, was not just the life of Moses, but the what? The law of Moses. So Moses cast a huge shadow on Scripture. But one of the things that is obvious from chapter 34, that his physical life, his physical life ended on a mountaintop with Jesus, or with God. 
Just like we read last week where his, his leadership moment, his, his really solidifying himself as a leader happened on Mount Sinai in the presence of God. His, his departure happens on a mountain in the presence of God. But one of the things that I thought about this week as I'm writing down notes and jotting things down and trying to come up with ideas is that it is evident that even though Moses dies in Deuteronomy chapter 34, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, 66 books, book number five, Moses is gone. Yet his legacy lives on throughout every page thereafter. And so I jotted down this thought and this idea, outliving your life. What can we learn from, the, from Moses, the way he lived his life that prepares us for that moment, that when our journey on this side of eternity is over, that we still have the ability to make a difference in the kingdom and in lives of others because of the life that we will live. How do we outlive our very own life that once we're gone, we can still have an impact? And that's some of the things that we're going to talk about together this morning. A couple from this passage and a couple and one. The first one here really just from his life in general doesn't really tie back into our text. But it is the idea that Moses made sure that he did not allow his past mistakes to define him. And if we're thinking about that as an individual, it reads this way. Don't allow your past mistakes to define you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you had made mistakes in your life? All of us. How many of us have made some spiritual mistakes in our life that, that we still think about those mistakes today? Moses made a huge mistake. And it's not in Deuteronomy chapter 17. That's supposed to be Numbers chapter 17. That's my fault. But the story starts in Numbers chapter 17. And in Numbers chapter 17, the people of Israel are griping and complaining. They're aggravated. They're mad. They're upset. They're hungry and thirsty is what they are. And they're tired. And they give Moses this line that they give him all the time. They say, you have brought us up out of Egypt. Why did you do that? Because we had everything we needed back there. And here you have drug us into the desert to just leave us and die. So, so Moses goes to God. It's a completely different Moses than we read about last week, who was, you know, very confident before God. This is a Moses that comes to God and he's broken and he's tired. He's exhausted from leadership. And he says, but God, help me with something here. What am I supposed to do? They're ready to drag me out and stone me and kill me. And, Mo and God says, okay, Moses, just calm down. This is the Matthew remix, okay? Just, just calm down. He says, go and get some of the elders, bring them out in front of everybody to this rock. And then he said, when I tell you to strike the rock, and when you struck the rock, what comes out of it? Water. Water comes out of it. And it's a great moment. It's a glorious moment. We fast forward uh, a little bit of time, and the same situation comes up, and Moses is just as frustrated and just as aggravated, and he goes to God, and God says, okay, this time I want you to go to the rock, and instead of, talk, or instead of striking it, I want you to what? I want you to speak to it. And he's not calmed down enough yet. And he gets up there in front of everybody. And he's still mad. And he's still aggravated. Then out of frustration, what does he do to the rock? He strikes it in front of everybody. And what does God do? Well, God realizes this moment's not just about Moses. This moment is about everybody else. So he still brings forth the water. But then he pulls Moses aside. And he says, Moses, you messed up. You made a big mistake. And because of that mistake, there's going to be a consequence. And that consequence is that when everybody else crosses into the promised land, 
you don't get to go. Now, that was a defining moment for Moses. And that was a, mo a moment in Moses' life where he could have looked at that moment and he could have thought, well, all of this is for nothing. I've done all of this work. I've led these people for all of these years. You know, I did all this stuff in Egypt. And, and for what? I'm not even going to get to reap the, the, the reward to everything that I've done. He could have just wallowed in it. He could have been sour about it. He could have been upset about it. But what does he do? He does none of that. And he continues to serve God. He doesn't let that moment, that mistake in his life, define everything else moving forward. There's another great character in Scripture by the name of David. David has a moment in his life that he's not proud of. If you really think about it, David is known for three things. Okay, David is known for three things. The first thing, and finish the sentence for me, man after God's own heart. The second thing has to do with the giant, David and the third thing has to do with a woman, David and David and Bathsheba. He's known for defeating a giant, and he's known for a giant that defeated him. And David commits adultery with Bathsheba. He ends up having her husband killed. He makes this huge mistake. And he's confronted with this mistake, and he's told, hey, the, the cost, the consequence of this mistake is your son's not going to live, okay? And so David, this is one of my favorite parts of David's story. It says in 1 Samuel that David is, he is in sackcloth and ashes, and he's crying, and he's fasting, and he's praying to God to please let my son live. And then a servant comes up, and he says, hey, David, the son of yours, he, he's dead. And it says that David gets up and he puts, his, he puts his kingly clothes back on and he goes to the table and he sits down and he begins to eat. And the servant's real kind of, he doesn't understand. He says, why in the world while he was still alive? Why did you, you know, pray and cry and sackcloth and ashes? But now that he's gone, now it's almost like you're celebrating. This was David's response. He said, I can't do anything to bring my son back to me, but I can go to him. And what Matthew hears David say is, I'm not going to let my life be defined by this mistake. I'm not going to let this mistake hold me back and keep me from eternity with my son and also with God. You see, it's so easy for us to think about the negative things that we do and let those things pull us back and draw us away from God. Satan wants those negative things to do that. But as Christians, our mistakes don't have to define us. The cross defines who we are. Forgiveness defines who we are. Grace defines who we are. And it may come a time in your life where, hey, I've struggled and I've made this mistake. You find yourself like the prodigal son and you're off in a far country and you have nothing left. You're just, you're just worn out and you're exhausted from sin and you realize, hey, I can still go back home. I can still go back home. It may look different. It may feel different. That's what the prodigal son thought. And he comes back home. And what does his dad do? His dad runs out there to him, wraps his arm around him, won't let him finish his apology. He puts his clothes back on him that makes him a member of the family. And he has a big fellowship meal with him, a big, a big smoke out. We can always come home. Our walk with Christ needs to be what defines us, not the mistakes of our past because God has given us a way to be forgiven of those things. A way that regardless of what our past holds, we can still walk in the future with the Son. 
Now, there's a side point here that I want to make that I think is equally important. As the church, we need to make sure that we're like the father in that prodigal son story who gives the son somewhere to go home to. Sometimes people don't come back to God because they're afraid of walking in those doors because they're afraid of the judgment that's going to take place instead of the love. And when someone walks in those doors, regardless of what they've done in their life, if God can forgive them, if Jesus' blood can offer them grace and mercy, do you know what Matthew can do and has to do? Forgive them and love them as well. And that needs to be what defines us, not our past mistakes. So that's the first thing that I want you to see from the life of Moses. The second thing is this. How do I outlive my life and trust your hopes to others who will continue your life's work? And trust your hopes to others who will continue your life's work. There's a simple word there that I could have put, but the sentence maybe sounds, you know, flashier. The simple word is this, discipleship. Discipleship. I want you to look at verse 39 with me of this chapter, or verse 9, rather. It says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua, now that Moses is gone... What does Joshua all of a sudden find himself as? The leader of Israel. Now, you can look at that and go, wow, that was a lot placed on Joshua's plate. Just like that, all of a sudden, they're fixing to, I mean, the the promised land's right there. They're fixing to enter in it. Now, all of a sudden, because of Moses' mistake, now Joshua's all of a sudden in charge. That had to be big shoes to fill, right? Yeah, absolutely. But think back to our story from last week. Moses goes out after he goes and gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down and he smashes the Ten Commandments. God's mad and aggravated. I'm not going with you anymore. Moses goes out into the valley and he builds a tent so he can go in and talk to God. And who does he bring out with him? Joshua. It's the only person that went with him. The only person that went with Moses when he went to talk to God was Joshua. That was 40 years prior to this moment. For 40 years, Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. I don't know how old Joshua was. I don't know how young he was when they got into Egypt and when he's kind of said, hey, look, I think you could be a great leader. And he starts to pour himself into Joshua. And he starts, I'm sure, to teach him about Scripture. And he starts to explain things to him. And he starts to mentor him and disciple him because he knew one day that there was going to come a time that Israel needed a new leader. And he made sure that that guy was prepared to step up and lead. That needs to be the type of church that we are. The type that as older members, we pour into younger members and we, we prepare them. Hey, for our elders, one of the greatest things that you can do is reach down and grab a younger man and prepare him for service and leadership. Because one day you're not going to be able to serve. So why don't you prepare those guys and bring them up so that when your time is up, you've got men that are right there ready to serve because you have discipled them, because you have entrusted your hope, you have trained them, you have encouraged them. Maybe you're a great Bible school teacher. And I know Bible school looks a little bit different right now, but maybe you're a great Bible school teacher. One of the things that you can do to make sure that there's more great Bible school teachers is grab someone else. Bring them into class with you. Don't make them teach right away. Just let them sit there and learn from you. Maybe you're a great fisherman. Maybe you're great with building things. Maybe you're a great cook. Take those things and grab someone and teach them how to use those gifts for the kingdom. Teach them how to use those gifts for the kingdom. Entrust your hopes to others so that 
Your life's work will continue. Your service will outlive you through those individuals. All right, one more thing, and then the lesson's yours. Look back and celebrate what God has done in your life. At the end of all of this story, the writer stops and he, and he celebrates the life of Moses in just a few words. He says, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all the officials in the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. After Moses died, there was a period of mourning, a period of remembering the life of Moses and what he had done. And, and I'm sure that in, in the mourning, there was celebration. When they thought about him, they told stories about him, and people remembered great things about him. As a church, sometimes it's important for us to slow down and stop and look back and count our blessings. Sometimes I feel like we miss the blessings, we don't count the blessings, because we're so busy moving forward. And, and that's something that, that I think moving forward is important. But sometimes we're moving forward not with purpose, just with busyness. And when we're moving forward with just busyness, it's easy to miss the blessings that God is giving us as a church family, as an individual family, as a follower of God. Sometimes it's important for us to stop and look back and just remember, the Old Testament, the Old Law, the Old Covenant is cram-packed with religious holidays. And it's for that purpose. Passover, one of the biggest days in the Israelite nation, was made to make everybody stop and slow down and think back and remember. Within the Old Law, there was the day of Sabbath rest that was made for people to stop and slow down. You know, nowadays, we try to cram as many hours into a seven-day week as possible, Sunday through Saturday. And I think we need, as a church, as individuals, we need to take moments to stop and slow down and turn around and look and count and appreciate and celebrate what God has done. You know, I, I have tried to be mindful of this over the last several months during, and I pray and I thank God for this over and over and over because it's, it's been a blessing to me in my life, even though I've just been a small part of some of them, but the, the marriages that have taken place and that are happening in our church family right now. From, from the beginning, uh, when, the, when the COVID stuff kind of first kind of um, started happening, and um, I think Brooke and Alex, y'all had to like completely postpone your wedding to a different time because of it. And Dylan and Sydney were kind of worried about how they may have to do the same thing. But you know, during this time, and I've said this to you a couple of times, we've had new marriages that have happened. We had one yesterday. There's going to be another one next Saturday. And then here in a few months, there's going to be another one. We've had grandbabies born to, to grandparents for the first time. I mean, there's, God has blessed our church family with some cool moments through this COVID crisis. But it's easy to get, get so bogged down by the crisis that we forget the blessings. But God's still blessing. No matter what's going on, God is still blessing. <clears throat> and maybe to see those things, we need to just stop, slow down, and celebrate. 
There's nothing wrong with celebrating. There's nothing wrong with being excited. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that when a sinner repents, what happens in the throne room of God? There is rejoicing. Do you think that rejoicing is a calm, organized rejoice? I don't. I think it's the, I think it's the angels throwing a party because of the blessings of God. And we need to have that type of lifestyle as Christians as well. Outliving your life. We spend a lot of time in Scripture together. And the majority of the time in Scripture that we talk together through is about living. It's about living. It's about living to the fullest. It's about serving to the fullest. It's about making the best of every moment in this side of eternity. But you know... As I read chapter 34 this week and decided to go there, I paused and I thought, because one of the things that it reminded me is truly, this life will end. We enjoy living, don't we? We do. But this life is going to end. And I thought about that a couple of different ways this week. One in our sermon, how do I outlive my life? How do I live a legacy in which when I'm gone... My life still affects the kingdom in a positive way. And secondly, when my life is over, have I lived in such a way that the other side of eternity is a greater blessing than any blessing I received here? Am I going to live in a way that grants me the opportunity to spend eternity with God and with my Savior and with His Spirit? And I think that's a question we all have to ask ourselves this morning. How are we living our life and are we going to outlive the things of this world? Let's go to God in prayer and then the lesson will be yours. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this chance to just be together and to encourage one another to be lifted up with each other in song. I thank you for the moment to gather around your table, to commune together spiritually and physically, God. God, I thank you for your words this morning from the book of Deuteronomy, the reminder that this life will end, but we can still make an impact after this life is over and that it can be a greater blessing on the other side of eternity than it is here. Help us, God, to live with our mind focused on you so that we can have that life for all of eternity. Bless us, God. Help us to understand and receive those blessings with gladness. Thank you for Jesus, the greatest blessing of all. May we live our life with that motivation every day that he came and lived, was perfect for us, was our sacrifice, and we can be saved. Help us to remember that, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.